Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll jump into the text again, and I'll read it again, again, just because I want us to be there together. It's not going to be on the screen today. You're going to have to actually use your Bible or your device or something to follow along with me. We're actually going to go in a lot of places today, and so I would normally have our text on the screen, but it's nobody's being lazy today. Everybody's engaging today, amen? You with me? Okay, all right, here we go. So Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll begin in the very first verse. This is what the text says. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard uh, of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. See what he's saying there? He's like, like, when you read this letter... You know that I'm telling you something important. There's a mystery about this, and you should be able to perceive that Jesus has given me something for you to hear today. Verse 5, which was not made known uh, to the sons of men in other generations as as it has now been revealed uh, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness according, uh, uh, whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, do not lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Okay, so... Uh, The book of Ephesians uh, in chapter 3 is uh, compromised of material and uh, 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 insight and information that most people just don't preach on today. Okay, If we were not expository preachers where we just don't get to skip over these verses, we would probably skip this section. Uh, because it, it, in our time today, uh, there's, it, it, it's almost like, why are we preaching through this? Because Paul's talking about uh, this thing about Jews and Gentiles still being in the same church together. Well, one, um, uh, we believe expository preaching is the way you should preach through the Bible. Uh, it's a high value for us because text by text, uh, verse by verse, you don't get to skip over the hard stuff or even things like this that may help us understand the mind of the apostle as he's writing here. And so the central theme of this third chapter of, of, of Ephesians is the role of the Gentiles in the early Christian community, and it's directly related to the special commission that Paul gave to, or, or that God gave to Paul in the ministry that he had. And so the reason why we hear or don't hear uh, these sermons from this third chapter of Ephesians is that today it's kind of universally taken for granted uh, without really any dispute or any controversy or anybody questioning it, uh, that the Christian church is open to all people of different nationalities, of different ethnic backgrounds. Would you agree with that? Yeah, so the church is, oh, we want people to be, know Jesus, right? We, we don't care what your nationality is. We don't care where you're from. We don't care what your skin color is. We don't care what your background is or who you may worship today. We want all people to worship Jesus, amen? 
Yeah, and so that's not that controversial to us today. That's what we hope to be. We call ourselves missionaries, and so it's not a big deal to us today. But if we put ourselves in the position of the early hearers of this particular text, uh, we'll get to a, a different sense of actually how this kind of drama was playing out in their church today. There wouldn't be drama in churches, would there? Well, there was in the early church in Ephesus for sure. Um, and so, honestly, one commentator says that, the, that uh, Ephesians chapter 3 could possibly be the most provocative of the chapters that he was actually writing. Again, it seems weird to us today uh, that that would be the most provocative thing that he would say, but it is because he was calling both Jews and Gentiles, and he was asking the Jewish people to include those outside the Jewish faith into the same faith that is following Jesus. Those Jews who had repented of their sins and followed Jesus were saying, hey, those Gentiles who you've been at odds with your entire life, They've repented. Some of them have repented of their sins and, and, and believed the gospel, and they're following Jesus too. Now I need y'all to be together. And that was scandalous during the time uh, that this letter was written, that Paul was writing this. It's almost kind of like the way it was in, an, in a segregated South, okay? Where we would ask white people and black people to do something together. We, we don't necessarily say those things today, but there was a time in our country where segregation was a really big deal, and black people and white people didn't come together and worship the Lord together. We still kind of see that on Sundays, right? And it's unfortunate that we don't see a more integrated church today, but today we would say as followers of Jesus, as people at the Refuge Church who are Christians, we welcome all people to come, right? Because we want to hear the gospel. And Paul was trying to make that message plain today. In chapter 3, you'll see Paul's character as well. Kind of an understanding of who he was. You're going to see who he was, and he's understanding what his task was and the calling that he had on his life. What his passion was, what his mission was. We're actually going to see him kind of begin to flesh that out in this letter, as especially here in chapter 3. So let's dive in. Uh, Notice that in the first verse, Paul identifies himself by name as the author of this letter. Uh, Verse 1 says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, notice how he describes himself here. He calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, again, he wrote this letter from a Roman prison under the authority of Rome and the emperor of Rome, whose name was Nero. And so, He could have said, hey, I'm a prisoner of Nero, but what did he call himself? Come on, are y'all paying attention? Here we go, right here. What did he call himself? Prisoner of who? Look in your text, verse 1. Christ, there we go, there it is. A prisoner of Christ Jesus. Yes, he said, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, I had planned to show you a picture of myself in my prison garb that I wore out here in the first sermon just to kind of give you a reminder that he was in prison. You know, he was in prison. He was, he had, he had, he was in kind of house arrest is really what he was. Uh, but he says, I, he didn't say I'm a prisoner of Nero. He glorifies the risen Jesus. He said, You know, I'm not bound by these chains of Rome, but I'm mastered by the Lord Jesus. He's the one who binds me by his love. He is the one who holds me captive. He is the one whom I answer to. Do you think regularly, do you listen, 
Do you think regularly about belonging to Jesus? Just think about that in your own mind. As you think about your day and as you think about your week and as you think about as you go through your life, not coming to here on Sundays, sometimes we probably don't even think about here. Do you think about it regularly about I belong to Jesus? He owns me. As a Christian, he owns me. He has rescued me. He has, he has set me free from, from sin and death and hell, and I belong to him. I am his, and he is mine. Down in verse 7, look down in verse 7, here's what it says. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. And so he, uh, he also might say, I was made a servant of this. Two words he uses to describe his mission. He says, one, I'm a prisoner. I belong to God. I am a servant. I serve the king. And in this thing that I, in this life that I'm called to live, I am both a prisoner and a servant. And this is, this is consistent to what he said in some other letters as well. He often identifies himself as a slave to Jesus. I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm a slave to the one who has bought me. And so what does this language evoke for us? One, it says this, one who has been purchased, right? Okay. One who has been bought with a price. And one who has, is possessed or is in possession uh, by Jesus. Paul knew that he belonged solely and fully to Jesus. I am his. He said, I am his, and I do what he calls me to do. He, set, he, he goes on and stresses the fact that he has been set free by the redemption that came through Jesus. And he says this. He kind of stresses, he doesn't say this, but he really stresses this, that one is not truly free until one belongs to the master who is Jesus. Listen. One is not truly free until one belongs to the master, when that master is Jesus. Jesus says he has come to set us free. We belong to him. He is ours and we are his. We are not truly free until we belong to him. Why? Because we're enslaved to our own sin. Listen, if you're here and you're hearing me, which is all of you, we can be enslaved to sin or we can be enslaved to the master. The master sets us free from being enslaved to our sin. That besetting thing that you just can't seem to get rid of, that thing that is holding you and has such a grip on you, that you go, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know how I'm going to ever move past this. I don't know how I'm ever going to get on the other side of this. You are enslaved, many of us, many of you are enslaved to some type of besetting sin that you just can't seem to shake. Sometimes that means that that is your master. And my calling to you today would say, be like Paul. Don't let that be your master. Be in, if you're going to be enslaved to something, be enslaved to Jesus. Because he sets us free from these things. Back to the text in verse 1. First three verses. For, I, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. And so Paul begins to discuss how the Gentiles, uh, what their role is in the body of Christ. 
And he's speaking to something that's very close and dear to his own heart. And honestly, that's one of the reasons I think that Paul didn't end up around Jerusalem a lot because he knew that he was called to the Gentiles. That's where he was sent. He was sent to the people who were not Israel. He was sent to the people who were not part of the, uh, of the family of Israel. He was like, I've been called to the Gentiles. I've been sent to the Gentiles. And he spent his life fulfilling this commission that he had been sent on. Different places. Spreading the message of faith. Establishing churches. I would say that Paul was probably the greatest theologian that we read through the New Testament. Would you agree with that? Yeah, Paul. But I would say he's not only the greatest theologian. He was probably the greatest evangelist in the New Testament. He's always talking to people and pointing them to Jesus. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. A couple of pages turning. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians, if it's to the left, you're looking for it. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 7. Look what he says. This is talking about him going to the Gentiles. Um, And and, uh, Galatians is the first uh, book that we preach through here uh, at Refuge. I I preached through Galatians. I think we spent a long time, 52 weeks in Galatians. It's got like five chapters. It's ridiculous how long it took us to get through Galatians. It was a long, I'm preaching through it and I'm going, whoo, this is long, you know. Uh, But we we, we went through Galatians. But I love it because it's about freedom in Christ, okay? It's about not being enslaved to the law. It's about being set free in Christ Jesus, which we'll get to here in just a moment. Look at verse 7 in uh, chapter uh, 2 where we are. Uh, Paul says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, which are not the Jews, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, which is the Jews, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, to the Jews, worked also through me to mine for the Gentiles, not the Jews. Uh, Verse 9, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, look, that we should go to the Gentiles. And he was like, look, the people in the church at Jerusalem said, you boys need to go out to the Gentiles. You need to go to those who, are out, have, been, who have been consistently outside the household of faith and preach the gospel to them. And so that's what he said, that you should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So he's like, you go to the Jews and you go to the not Jews and, and we're going to preach the gospel to everybody. Only they asked me to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for before certain men came to James. He was eating with Gentiles but when they came and drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So he, he'd gone and he was enjoying some freedom as he was eating with those people who were not Jews. He was probably eating some pork, you know, if I had to guess, you know, some ribs. That's what I figure. You know, he'd like, man, this is good. Where y'all from? Memphis? You know, uh, uh, and he was eating something that was not kosher at the time. And then suddenly some of the people from the circumcision party came over from the Jews and like, oh no, the Jews are here. I can't be eating this pork anymore. It's so good, but I can't be eating in front of them because it's not kosher to them. And so that's what, it, that's what this is actually saying. That's my own version of what this is actually saying. Uh, but before certain men came from James, from the Jewish side, he was eating with the Gentiles, the not Jewish side. But when they came, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself. Oh, can't eat the pork. Uh, fearing the circumcision party, fearing the Jews. Tracking with me? Am I just entertaining myself? Y'all with me? 
All right, okay, here we go. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisies. Barnabas was like, what are you doing? We were just enjoying a nice meal at Corky's and, you know, and suddenly you're like, you, you left the building. I don't know what happened. Verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Okay, I could run down a lot of rabbit trails here, but here, here's what I'm trying to say here. In Galatia, where Paul was writing to this particular time, this was about the inclusion, again, of the Jews and Gentiles. He was trying to say, hey, we're including these groups together. These groups need to be together. And, uh, and so the issue at hand was freedom from the law from anyone who believes. Freedom from the law for anyone who believes. He says, how can you, Peter, who know the freedom you have in Jesus, suddenly force non-Jews to live under the yoke of slavery to the law when they never lived under the law anyway? How can you force them to do that? What are you doing here? And Paul was emphatic about this, and I want to be emphatic about it as well. Listen, you and I are not Jews, okay? I don't think anybody is here. The most of us are Gentiles. We do not, listen, we do not and have not ever been under the old Jewish law system because we're Gentiles, okay? Don't be mad. I don't care what your preacher has told you in the past. You are not grown up under the law, the law that was given to Israel at Sinai. And even if you were, what do we know about Jesus? What has Jesus done? Begins with an F. It, there it is. Fulfilled the law. Okay? Even if we're a room full of Jews, Jesus has what? See this? fulfilled the law on our behalf. He has met all the requirements of the law on our behalf and has given righteousness now to both Jews and Gentiles to anyone who will repent and believe the gospel. So whether you've ever been a Jew, who I don't think most of us are, or whether you're a Gentile, which I think most of us are, Jesus has met all the requirements, whether you lived under the law or whether you were not under the law, for righteousness' sake on our behalf. And so we don't live under that law. This was Paul's message to the Gentiles. You don't have to act like the Jews because you have the Spirit of God when you repent and believe that lives now in you. And now you and I live under the law of what? Begins with L. O. Love, yes. Love. You and I live under the law of love, which says what? To love God and what? Love your neighbor. Love each other. Yeah. Love God and what? Love each other. Look around at somebody and say, we love God and we love each other. Say it like you'd really hope somebody would say it to you if they really actually believed it. We love God. We love each other. All the law and prophets are wrapped in this. You love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, your strength. And you love your neighbor as yourself. This was Paul's message to the Gentiles then. And this is Paul's message to the Gentiles, us, today. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 and 5. When you read this, Paul says, 
you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so what is this mystery that Paul is writing about? I think he explains it well in Colossians. Turn over to Colossians. So you're in Galatians, turn past Ephesians, and then Philippians, and then Colossians. You're turning to the right. Turn to the right. Colossians chapter 1. My raising Arizona fans. Thank you. Thank you. Where are we at? Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Here's what Paul says. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, listen, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you're an underliner, underline that in your Bible. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Highlight it, whatever your device does. The Christ in you, the hope of glory. Look, the, verse ne- the next three words. Him we proclaim. What do we do every week at Refuge? What do we do? We proclaim Jesus. We preach the gospel. I preach it from this pulpit. Whoever stands in this pulpit is going to preach the gospel. What do we do with our music? What do we proclaim with our music? We preach the gospel message with our music. We do it with everything that we do here. We are proclaiming the gospel because that's what we're called to do. And Paul says, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. Look at verse 28. That's why we do this, people. Warning everyone. Listen. When I stand and preach, what I'm doing right now is I'm warning many of you that you need to hear the gospel and you need to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus because that is your only hope. That's my warning, okay? Without it, you will split hell wide open. You will die in your sins and face the wrath of God for all eternity. That's the warning, okay? I love you enough to say that that directly. Paul says, so we're warning everyone and we're teaching everyone with all wisdom. So we're going, let's mine this for some information. You should listen regularly to what I have to say from this pulpit because God has ordained me to proclaim this message to you. You should open your Bible regularly and trust the Holy Spirit to teach you something from the scriptures so that you are learning. We are teaching and we're calling you to learn and be mature in Christ Jesus. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. At some point, you're going to take your last breath and my hope is is that you don't limp somewhere into eternity. My hope is that you are so ready to go. You go, man, I love Jesus so much and he has given me such the life and I have lived this life, the life I allow live. I live to the glory of the son of man. That's the way I want us to live our lives. So when we take our last breath, we go, man, I lived it strong and hard here for Jesus and I'm out and I'm going to see him. I don't want you to be afraid of that day coming because you're just kind of doing your own thing. I want you to be filled with the Spirit, living the life that God calls us to live. Whenever, he, whenever you step out of this life into the next one, you walk up and, 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 and the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
That's my hope for all of us. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul, Paul said, man, I don't do this on my own. He's giving me the energy. I'm working hard, but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, we have one message at Refuge, and it's the same message that the apostles were sent with. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's salvation found in no other. There's no hope found in any other. There's no life found in any other. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Paul says, this message was revealed to the Old Testament prophets and to the New Testament prophets progressively by the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit that revealed it to the prophets in the Old Testament and to Paul to write this and to pin this to the church is the same Holy Spirit that reveals the same truth to you and me today. Are you wrestling with what to believe? Listen, are you wrestling with, is this actually true? Could this gospel message actually be true? Are you torn between this is truth or what is truth over here? Is this really true or is this not really true? Are you living in some type of religious system uh, or, or that places any person or people uh, or, or in anything in addition to Jesus? If you are, then run fast away from that. If you're watching us online, if you're listening somewhere and you're part of another church that gives you any other reason other than trusting Jesus and Christ alone, run from that. And run to a church that preaches the gospel on a regular basis. That there's salvation found in no other than it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? Amen. Verse 6. Paul says this. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. So again, he's writing to the Jews and he's like, Hey, bros, listen. The mystery of the gospel is that the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, are fellow heirs with us, uh, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So back to what I said at the beginning. This would have been a very controversial topic in the day. Um, all the way, uh, uh, the Jews had been the partakers and the caretakers of the ministry of God in the world. And so all the way back from Abraham, remember our study through Genesis as we were studying through there and Abraham and, and God said, I'm going to make you into a big and mighty people. Um, the, promise said, I'm, the promise of God says, I'm going to make you into a great people and that through you, the Messiah will actually come. And, because, and Paul is now saying that because the Messiah has actually come, at this point when he's writing this letter, the promise, be, the promise belongs to all who will believe the gospel. And listen, when I say believe the gospel, here's what you need to hear me saying, church. I'm not simply talking about just some knowledge about what words mean. I'm not talking about just some intellectual uh, acknowledgement towards some facts. I'm talking about repentance and faith. Turning from your sinful ways. Really going, I recognize that the life that I live and the things that I do and the actions that I take and the thoughts that I have and all these things are against God. They're not in line with the gospel. And so I want to turn away from those things, which is what repentance is, is saying, hey, I recognize I'm a sinner and I want to go in an opposite way of what I've been doing. 
I want to live differently than what I've been doing. Turning from your sinful ways. Really realizing that you have no righteousness within you at all. What that righteousness that you think that you can muster up on your own, the scripture says God sees them as filthy rags. And that you desperately need someone to bridge the chasm that is between you and God. You, a sinful person, and God, righteous creator of the universe. That person is Jesus, and that's what the gospel is about. That Jesus came to bridge the gap between sinful man and righteous God. To come and live like you and I live. Take on flesh like you and me. Be tempted in literally every way like you and I are, yet he did it without sin. And then the scripture says that Jesus went to the cross, hung on a cross, and bled and died. Why why does that matter? Because the scripture also tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that the blood of bulls and goats, all those sacrifices you might know about in the Old Testament, none of that, the blood of bulls and goats, does not take away anybody's sin. It takes literally the precious blood of Jesus to cover your sin debt. The scripture says not only did he die for our sins, he was raised, scripture says, for our justification. That God says, I accept this. I accept this, uh, uh, this sacrifice on behalf of mankind, and I'm going to raise Jesus up. And so that is the capstone of our faith. It's what it holds it all together, that Jesus is alive. There are a lot of other gods that people worship, little G's that, that people worship, and they're all dead. You know the only one alive? It's the Sunday school answer. Jesus, yeah. Jesus is the only one who is alive. And he says, repent of your sins, believe the gospel, and you will be saved. And by being saved, I mean truly born again. Be born again causes us to live differently. Is there nothing about you that's been different since you say that you've become a Christian? Is there nothing different? Is your life still the same? If it is, listen... If your life has not changed at all since you became a Christian, then you're probably not a Christian. But today, today can be your day of salvation. Today can be the day that you finally go, okay, I'm, I'm getting it. I, I see. I, I need to turn from my sin. I, I recognize this is not just about words. This is not about golden ticket theology. This is about literally repenting and turning from my sin and trusting the only wise God, my Savior, Jesus, who is the only hope that I have in this life. Today can be your day of salvation. Let's keep going. Verse 7. Paul says, Of this gospel, the gospel that saves sinners, this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, all things. And so when Paul talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ, look at verse 8. The original language uses some words that uh, essentially means something that can't be fully uh, understood or comprehended or even explored. I, I can't, that when, when it talks about that, it's like, this is so deep, the big chasm, I mean, the, the, it's so deep and so wide and so thorough that I can't fully really even understand it. There's no limits to the riches in Christ. They are past 
understanding fully. But the things that we do know about the riches in Christ, we've already talked about whenever we preach through this from chapter 1. That there's redemption through His blood. There's forgiveness of our sins. There's knowledge about the mystery of His will. There is the message of truth. There's the sealing of the Holy Spirit. The sealing, the, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit and the guarantee of our inheritance. And in Jesus, we have been blessed in every spiritual blessing. Hidden with the treasures that have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And given everything, listen, everything we need to live a godly life. All this and endless more we find when we know Jesus. Paul goes on in verse 8 and says, I am the least of these. Look at verse 8. It says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And in the same verse, he talks about how little he is and how great God is. Paul says, I'm the least, and I'm preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. I am the, like the very smallest, very possible person that could actually preach this, but I'm preaching the best message that could ever be preached. Now, unless your fallen minds are taking us somewhere to where this is something like Paul's preaching about riches again, and health and wealth and prosperity, that's not what he's talking about. This, this prosperity that he talks about, this, the riches that he talks about, is not material, but it's spiritual. And what are those riches that he talks about? That Jesus will provide salvation, listen, to everyone who believes. Anyone who will repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, he will provide salvation. He, will transform, he can transform even the hardest of hearts. Even the hardest. Those that you think, that person in your family, who you think that is the hardest person I've ever seen, even that person, he has the ability to even uh, soften those hardest hearts. And then to those of us who repent and believe, he gives us the fruit of that spirit, that the spirit that lives within us. Love, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Salvation is the spirit, uh, 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 the spirit of God. It, it, it is the gift that keeps on giving. I had a picture of Cousin Eddie, but uh, uh, that I was going to show you. Uh, but, but that's what it is. The, the Holy Spirit is the gift that keeps on giving. He keeps on. He keeps on filling us with his spirit. He keeps on giving us those things. This is not like a one and done thing. He continues to fill us with those things. He continues to give us those. That fruit continues to grow within us. Keep going to verse 9. I'm running out of time. Verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And again, Paul just said, we have to proclaim the gospel whenever we're going to do this. I, I was going to read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 17, and, uh, but I'll just tell you what it says. You can write that down, Romans 10, 9 through 17. You can go back and read it later for yourself. The bottom line is, is that the the the, the, the proclamation of the gospel is how people come to know Jesus. Listen. I love friendship evangelism. Who's heard of friendship evangelism? Raise your hand. Really? All right, come on, participate. Who's heard of friendship evangelism? All right, I see a few more. That, what that means is I'm going to go make friends, and I'm going to be nice to people, and I'm going to be kind to people. I'm going to help them clean up their yard, and I'm going to come over, and I'm going to invite them to my house for dinner, and I'm going to be really nice to them, and I'm going to, they're going to see that I'm a Christian. And somewhere because they see that I'm really nice and I'm a Christian, they'll probably come to know Jesus. Not how this works. Okay, I we want you to be all those things, you know. 
the last thing we want you to be is the jerk on Sunday. That you know, When y'all go out, don't be a jerk to your waiters and waitresses. We don't want you to be a jerk to your neighbors. Come on. You know who I'm talking to. You know who you are. You should repent. We should be nice to our neighbors. We should be kind to our neighbors. We should be kind to the waiters and waitresses as we come across them. But listen, that doesn't save people. The gospel. Jesus saves through the proclamation of the gospel. And that's what Paul is talking about here whenever he writes that in, uh, in this particular text for us. He goes on in 1 Corinthians, and he talks about this very thing as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 25, uh, he talks about the, uh, the fact that we are called to preach the gospel uh, to both Jews and Greeks because it, because it confused. The gospel is one of those messages that is confounding the people who are outside the household of faith. But when the Spirit awakens their eyes, they hear the gospel and repent and believe. That's why we keep preaching the gospel over and over again. Because some of you are still dead in your sins, and you can't even hear this. You, you know that? The stuff that I'm saying to you regularly, this gospel that I preach to you regularly, if you're watching us on TV, the gospel that you hear us proclaim regularly, that you hear other people proclaim regularly, you know, it just goes and bounces off your ears and eyes and all, off your body and all this kind of stuff. It's like you've got a shield or something because you're dead in your sins and you can't hear it. And so our prayer for you, the way I prayed for you today was that God would give you ears to hear. That God would awaken you to the gospel and give you understanding to the gospel understanding to what the what the preacher is saying today and what the scripture teaches today and then in john chapter 20 god just doesn't send me he sends you jesus said to his disciples peace be with you as the father has sent me even so i am sending you he sent his apostles to preach the gospel and he sends every one of you to go tell other people about the uh, about the good news of jesus you'll kind of reach some people that i'll never be able to reach you're going to reach people that will never come to this church and hear the gospel preached. And so you are, we talk about it every week that you are a missionary. It is not you who saves people. You, we want to be good at what we do. We want to be, our, be able to articulate the gospel. But it's not your good way that you say it that saves people. It's the fact that God in his mercy chooses to awaken people to the gospel when you share it with them. And they're like, yeah, let's get saved today. Wait till that happens to you. You'll be hooked. What is the message that we preach today? Oh, let, here, look at verse 10. So that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What is the message of the church today? What is the message of the church today? It's that Jesus is Lord, that all are welcome. That there is power when we embrace the Spirit of God for people to find hope and for people to find, people to find help and for people to belong and become a family. That's the message today. I hope that's the message that you give. I hope that's the message that you share. I hope that's the message that your life comes across and shares with people. Verse 11, I know I'm having to speed through this, is what it is. This is according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in God. How do we have access to God? One way. One way. Through Jesus. One way. There is no other name given under heaven and earth whereby we must be saved. There's not many ways to God. There's not many ways to God. 
And if you're in here and you're a universalist or you believe something else, you believe you're getting to God through any other way other than repentance and faith, you're wrong. You're deadly wrong. Jesus is your only hope. Jesus is your only help. Jesus can be your king. And because we have access to him, we have direct access to God through Jesus. There are no intermediaries between you and God other than Jesus himself. It don't go through his mama. It don't go through a priest. It don't go through rituals. You have direct access to God through Jesus. That's what the scripture teaches us. The scripture teaches us. That's not me saying it. I am saying it. But I'm saying it because the scripture says it, okay? Verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Do people suffer because of Jesus? Bet they do. Again, the prosperity gospel is a fake gospel. Jesus doesn't save you to give you health, wealth, and prosperity here. He might... You might have a great job. You might live in a wonderful home. You might make a billion dollars. But that's, that, 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 that's not because you necessarily follow Jesus. There's plenty of people outside the household of faith that do that very thing. God is not saving you to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. God saves you to glorify Jesus and to serve him all the days of your life. To make much of Jesus, not to build a kingdom for yourself. When we suffer for Jesus' sake, and I say when and not if, but when we suffer for Jesus' sake, or when other people around you do, my encouragement to you is to be empathetic. Be understanding. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. And listen, don't lose heart and don't fall away. Paul writes this to the Romans. The suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. So, so what, preacher? What do we take away from this? And, and, and so this is what I want you to think about uh, in light of this text. What do we do with this? Why would Paul write these things? I, I think for a couple of reasons. One, because the gospel is true. Okay? The gospel is a real story. This is not something that, that we make up that the gospel is true. It is real. Remember who Paul was. He was a persecutor of Christians. He was killing Christians until he met the risen Jesus, the, the resurrected Jesus. He was killing Christians. And so he met the resurrected Jesus and Jesus changed his life. And if any, that's the drastic change. And so if Paul can be changed, any of us can be changed. That's the, I think that's the purpose of why God did it that way. The gospel is powerful. It's powerful enough to save you. No matter what your past is, no matter what you're involved in today, the garbage that might be the part of your life that is just heaping itself up in your life, God can save even wrecks like you and me today. That was me, I'm telling you. I was a disaster. And God chose to save me. Gospel is effective. Gospel is effective because all people, those who will repent and believe, and in Paul's context, it was both Jews and Gentiles. He was including them in the family of God. 
Those who were at odds with one another, he said, we're no longer at odds with one another. In our context, he would just say, the gospel is for you. We've already talked about what the gospel is. So the question becomes, where are you in this grand story? Where are you in this grand story of God? Have you believed the gospel? Not just with your head. I'm not talking about just some facts that you know what John 3.16 is or, or you, know what the, you, know, you know who Jesus was. But I'm talking about have you repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus and are trying to walk with him, trying to forsake some things that Paul will get to later as we get through Ephesians, some putting some things away and putting on the things of Christ. Is that the way that you live your life today? Do you articulate the gospel? Can you share the gospel? Remember, the gospel is a message not just for me to share, but for you to share. You know, the group, the group Penn and Teller, renowned non-believers, even he said, if the gospel is true, and it is, he didn't say that, but it is true. He said, how much do you have to hate someone not to share the gospel with them? If the gospel is true, and we know people who are outside the household of faith, people who are our friends, people who are our family, people who we love and care about, and we believe that the only hope for anyone is the proclamation of the gospel and to pray that the Holy Spirit would awaken them to the gospel, how much do we have to hate somebody not to share the gospel with them? There was a lot of hate that was going on in Paul's day through Jews and Gentiles. And he said, because of the gospel, those dividing walls should be broken down and that we should, the two should become one. Those people that you love and you care about or even those that you hate, those people that you want to come to know Jesus, share the good news. Last week, I'll say this. Maybe you've just fallen away or become started to doubt these things because of some event in your life. I'm going to use a terrible example here from McDonald's. Anybody ever been to McDonald's and just gotten a terrible service or terrible food or whatever? I'm not including the McRib because it's wonderful. I love a McRib. But have you ever been before and you go, man, those fries were cold or, uh, you know, I just, I just, I don't know why I keep going. But we, you know what we keep doing at McDonald's? We keep driving through the drive-thru. Getting a Happy Meal, order another McRib. You can, you can get, buy one, get one free when they come out. Or whatever the thing is, we keep going back, right? We keep going back. We keep going back. You may have, listen, you may have had a bad experience with a church member, with a preacher, with somebody sang in a band, with somebody in your family that follows Jesus and maybe it didn't go really well. Today I'm going to invite you to come back. To be back. And to come home to Jesus. 
There's a song that we used to sing when I was a kid. It was an invitation song. Invitation was where the preacher would stand down in front. You'd sing the song over and over again until somebody came. You know what I'm saying? Y'all been there? Y'all been in church like that, right? It went like this. Man, you can come on. I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've tried. Lord, I'm coming home. I've wasted many precious years. Now I'm coming home. I now repent with bitter tears. Lord, I'm coming home. I'm tired of sin and straying, Lord. Now I'm coming home. I'll trust thy love, believe thy word. Lord, I'm coming home, coming home, coming home, never more to roam, open wide thine arms of love. Lord, I'm coming.